1: Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and happy new year. Can you believe it? It's been a year. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. This is Gino Geraci. The program is Crosswalk, and there's a reason why we call it Crosswalk. It really is the intersection of Christian faith and Christian living. This is the place where Doctrine Meets Duty and Belief Meets Behavior. This is the program with you in mind where we try to ask and find answers to the questions that you care the most about. Questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible, how we got the Bible. Is the Bible reliable? We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions from time to time we also also have authors artists guests on and again if you'd like to join me on the program it's 303-873-1935 it is the new year it's january 2nd but it's also tough question tuesday and um if you'd like to join me on the program with your tough question, it's 303-873-1935. One of the things that I like to say, though, is, is a caveat and a, um, a reminder that you can ask me whatever you want to ask me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I know the answer. And of course, I don't know the answer to every single question. So, um, but like you, hopefully, I'm curious about a lot of things. So, don't be afraid to ask me a question that I don't know. And I hope you're not offended if I tell you, I don't know the answer to your question. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And of course, there is a lot going on in the news. You probably heard that um, Harvard's president (coughs) has resigned amidst plagiarism claims, but also, according to some, um, her absolute poor showing uh, before the United States Congress when she was asked about whether or not anti-Semitism... Um, constitutes – I guess the way that they put it was she was unable to say unequivocally that calls on campus for the genocide of Jews violates the school's conduct policy. So can you imagine if you have a a conduct policy and you go, yeah, um, we think genocide is a bad idea and – that means that you violated the schools. It, it makes it, it makes me wonder if this doesn't violate a policy, what will? What has to happen before um, certain kinds of speech constitute well discipline? And of course the university president, Claudine Gay, announced her departure uh, just months into her tenure to a letter to the Harvard communi- uh, community. She's also been accused of six additional allegations of plagiarism just yesterday, bringing the total number. And if you're wondering, is this just an odd case of academic uh, problem um but apparently there have been almost 50 different numbers of, of incidents of plagiarism, this according to the Free Beacon. And meanwhile, Dr. Carol Swain, from whose work uh, Gay was accused of plagiarizing, asked on the sh- social media platform X today, why did it take Harvard University and Ms. Gay so long to do the right thing for the good of the nation. And so Carol Swain is a very well-known academic, and um, she posted, quote, I'm waiting for the other Ivy League institutions to weigh in and help us resolve this complex issue of what constitutes Actionable plagiarism now that's an interesting thing because it's one thing to copy um, word for word someone's academic research and writing, and then again, um, take somebody else's idea and claim it as your own, especially um, in academics. So Harvard University's mishandling of the matter according to to uh, Ms Swain. I should say Dr. Swain um, says that it harms higher education and will have a negative trickle down effect on K through 12 educational institutions. She, she said, quote, perhaps the biggest loser of all is the Harvard corporation. It's failed to show it's acted in the best interest of the institution. And so, um, several different news outlets, including uh, Christian headlines and also CBN news reported that gay and the presidents of MIT and the university of Pennsylvania um, obviously began to come under close scrutiny um, when the whole world heard their televised responses to the United States Congress. And by the way, It seems that the current, well, she's now resigned, president of Harvard. She was named the uh, president of Harvard in July of last year. And so 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And I don't know if you're one of those people who... um, make new year's resolutions, but I thought I would talk a little bit about new year's resolutions. 303-873-1935. And of course, um, producer Jim Nichols is standing by to take your call at 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program and, there are some incredible um, stories, if you want to use that term. Well, I, I'm thinking about the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, and I want to be able to talk about that. Just it's it's been a long, long while, but Jonathan um, Edwards, of, of course, some people have famously referred to him as the last Puritan. And he wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. He wrote, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. He gave himself a note. He said, remember, remember, to read over these resolutions once a week. So when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about, well, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to talk a little bit about whether or not a Christian should make New Year's resolutions. And then we're going to talk a little bit about if a Christian can and should make resolutions what what would they look like? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And again, Happy New Year. Um, I guess during the, the new year, we're all really, when we say Happy New Year... We're basically hoping for a new beginning. We're hoping that we can start over. We might even say start fresh. And is that wrong? Is it a, is it wrong to want to have a line of demarcation and say what's past is past and what's forward is forward? And so... Um we have an article that we've posted at Got Questions Your Questions Biblical Answers at gotquestions.org on um the question that I'm hoping you're asking on Tough Question Tuesday but would love to take your question anyway and that is um you know questions about whatever you want to talk about but the number is 303-873-1935, and we, I'll come back to that. Uh, what sort of New Year's resolution should a Christian make here in just a moment? But we're going to take your calls, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Sheila, welcome to the program, and of course, Happy New Year.
2: Oh, thank you, Gino. Happy New Year to you. Uh, sometime during the Christmas holiday, I heard one of uh, a Christian broadcaster talk about levitical shepherds and they were saying that the shepherds who first went to see jesus were called levitical shepherds because their sheep were used only in the sacrifice of animals that people had to pay i had never heard of this i didn't know there were different classes of shepherds could you elaborate on that please
1: yeah, I, I think that that's been sort of debunked. Um, there are people who have been talking about this for a very long time. I remember getting a um, an email or something from somebody um, addressing this particular issue of Levitical shepherds. And okay. I'm trying to remember what I did with the information. I'm looking, looking, looking. Okay. Um, but to make a long story short, there were um, – so, so the way – this goes back to I, – I have a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the, the Messiah, which is by Alfred Edersheim. And I love it. It, I've had it for decades, but uh, uh, so to what you were basically referring to, it goes something like the shepherds around Bethlehem weren't overseeing ordinary flocks. They were responsible for raising sheep for sacrifice, which is another way of saying exactly what you just said. And there was, there's a vague reference on social media to posts of the Jewish practice or the ancient, rite, But, Uh, was the Mishnah dated or maybe 50 B.C. or A.D. 75 or whatever. Um, But two centuries after the events that transpired that night, there was a um, – this became a popular sort of meme. Um, So so there's a couple of ways of thinking about it. Edersheim used a citation in the Mishnah that was written 200 to- years after the fact so the big yeah so the big question becomes is it reliable evidence for that and so some people would say yes most would say no um some would say i doubt it but we don't okay. have any any way of knowing so so scholars have said have chalked that up to what what some call scholarly imagination. Oh. And, and and so they so there so there's various blogs that claim that Bethlehem was famous for producing unblemished lambs that were used for the sacrifice. Now okay. of course in the Levitical land you did have to bring an unblemished sacrifice. And so um There is a tower called Migdal Eder in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, And you, O tower of the flock, Migdal Eder, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So this is sort of Hebrew parallelism. And they use this as a sort of um, reference to... um, Lambs, so they they went so far as to say these newborn lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger for sacrifice wow, yeah okay. so so, oh, so this is probably not true and and so the way that I would answer what you just said, is there biblical evidence? And I would say no, because that particular passage that they cite has nothing to do with wrapping sacrificed lambs in swaddling clothes in okay. in um, in the Bible.
2: Okay, so basically, then you're saying shepherds were just. Were shepherds. There weren't like Levitical is the name of a tribe, but there weren't different tribes of shepherds then.
1: As a matter of fact, being a shepherd would would render you unclean. So it, in a way, this is an oxymoronic statement. It would be like if I said to you, "And they went to Las Vegas, and there they found Christian strippers." When you you <laughs> when you okay. see so you laugh a little bit because you go, "Wait, yes. Christian stripper." those two words together become nonsensical
2: yes definitely
1: so were there levites who probably um operated if 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 i can use that term or, or conducted or did shepherd like functions i would say that that would be the exception and not the rule and if they did it it would render them unclean and then they would have to go through a process of purification
2: Wow. Okay. All right. So basically, shepherds were shepherds, Then I mean, they don't put an adjective in front of them.
1: Correct. Um, I mean, there might be, uh, if there were adjectives, it would be riffraff. In other words, shepherds weren't allowed to produce, you know, to provide, to provide testimony in a, in a court case, which is one of wow. those odd things, you know, well, well, if you're going to make up a story, why would you have shepherds keeping their flocks by night being, giving, being the ones who give testimony to this angelic beings and, and to this revelation that, that a Messiah is born now, right. remember, that's a cultural thing, just like a woman Uh, Mary Magdalene sees the resurrected Jesus. Women didn't have a high place in society and weren't considered reliable witnesses. So if you're going to make up a story, why would you make up stories where no one cares about what they say? And I think the reason why is it's not a made-up story, but that's what really happened.
2: Okay. Well, after... Um, the shepherd saw Jesus. Was their place ever elevated in, in society? Did that change then? Oh, it would,
1: event- it would eventually change, especially in, in in our time, where you go. I mean, who, who feels bad about the shepherd, or, or who's who who would think about the shepherd being riffraff and and uh, unclean? Oh, never. But, right. right. Right, but, but it, in, in the time in which it's taking place, that's exactly what, what was happening.
2: Okay, but then again, it changed once the shepherds told, went back and told people what they saw, that they saw the Messiah, then the, that, their position still didn't change immediately then. As far as being looked no, upon, as- n-
1: n- yeah, they would be looked upon in, in in sort of with skepticism and askance, if you want to use that term. I mean, it goes okay. all the way back to Egyptian times when when Jude uh, when when Jacob goes down to visit his son Joseph, who's number two in the nation, and um, you know he has to tell the Pharaoh that his family are shepherds, but he knows right. that that that's kind of you know. That would be like saying, well, you know, my, my family, um, I, I'm just trying to think of a pejorative that that, that is not, it's low caste, lowly sure. ones.
2: Exactly. Okay, well, thank you. I just found that as a term I've never heard uh, in front of the word shepherd and thought that was uh, only God could create Levitical shepherds to be near Bethlehem, I mean, the the, the connection between them making sacrificial, um, having sacrificial lambs, right. and then they go visit the Lamb of God, I thought that was another great Bible um, connection.
1: It, okay. it is but, interesting, and it, it's so winsome, you want it to be true.
2: Absolutely, you do. Okay, well, thank you so much for clarifying that.
1: All right, see ya. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for your call, 303-873-1935. I was thinking about um, Sheila's question about the so-called Levitical Shepherd. And there is an article that I want to um, maybe send your way. Uh, Sheila, if you're still listening, it's entitled, By com, So it's B Y F A R T H E R S T E P S.com. By farthersteps.com. And the author is Tim Etherington. Tim Etherington, which is E T H E R I N G T O N. And um, he's got an article um, that I think sort of debunks the idea of a Levitical shepherd. And I think that, uh, you'll find it interesting. He cites the Edersheim passage. He talks about, uh, the claims of whether or not they stand up under scrutiny and then he updates it and he links to the articles so if if you have a chance, that's where I would encourage you to go. Um, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And I was talking a little bit about New Year's resolutions and what sort of New Year's resolutions should a Christian make. And I was making reference to an article that we have at gotquestions.org, Your Questions, Biblical Answers. And the article um, is great, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. And also there's a link, if you will, at gotquestions.org to our YouTube video of this particular question, which I think you're going to find very, very cool for family and friends but 3038731935 and i want to talk about that and maybe talk a little bit about jonathan edwards but in the article what sort of new year's resolutions should make again inviting you to call 3038731935 the practice of making new year's resolutions goes back over 3000 years to the ancient babylonians there's just something about the start of a new year that gives us the feeling of a fresh start, a new beginning. In reality, there's no difference between December 31st and January 1st. Nothing mystical occurs at midnight on December 3-1. And by the way, I'm going to pause in the article. Uh, Producer Jim, yeah, uh, on December 31, it was the date could be written one 2 3 One, two, three. Isn't that interesting? One, two, three. One, two, three. 12, 31, 23. So the Bible doesn't speak for or against the concept of a New Year's resolution. However, if a Christian determines to make a New Year's resolution, mm, what kind of resolution should he or she make? Well, again, this is at GotQuestions.org. Common New Year's resolutions are commitments to quit smoking, to stop drinking, to manage money more wisely, and to spend more time with family. And by far the most common New Year's resolution is to lose weight in conjunction with exercising more, eating more healthy. These are all good goals to set. However, 1 Timothy 4, eight instructs us to keep exercise in perspective. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise both for the present life and the life to come. Another translation says, <laughs> for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So, Many Christians, the vast majority of New Year's resolutions, like I said, even among Christians, are related to physical things. And so perhaps we should think about spiritual things. Many Christians make New Year's resolutions to pray more, to read their Bible every day, maybe to attend church more regularly for some of you, it might have even been go back to church. These are fantastic goals. However, these New Year's resolutions fail just as often as the non spiritual resolutions because there's no power in a New Year's resolution. Resolving to stop doing a certain activity has no value unless you have the proper motivation for stopping. Or starting that activity. For example, why do you want to read the Bible every day? Is it to honor God and grow spiritually? Or is it because you've just heard that it's a good thing to do? Why do you want to lose weight? Is it to honor God with your body? Or is it vanity? Or to honor yourself? Some people might say, well, I just want to be healthier. Well, that's okay. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In John fifteen five, it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If God is the center of your New Year's resolution, it has a chance for success, depending on your commitment to it. If it's God's will for something to be fulfilled, he'll enable you to fulfill it. If a resolution isn't God-honoring or doesn't agree with God's word, we will not receive God's help in fulfilling the resolution. So what sort of New Year's resolution should a Christian make? Well, here's some suggestions. Pray to the Lord for wisdom. That's James chapter 1, verse 5. Regarding what resolutions, if any, you should make. And number two, Pray for wisdom on how to fulfill the goals God gives you. And number three, rely on God's strength to help you. Number four, find an accountability partner who will help you and encourage you. And number five, don't become discouraged with occasional failures. Instead, allow them to motivate you further. And number six, don't become proud or vain, but give God, the glory, like it says in Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And so when we think about what sort of New Year's resolutions should a Christian make? Again, I can't help but think of perhaps one of the most famous Christians whoever was born on the North American continent. And that, of course, was Jonathan Edwards. And so when he was making these resolutions, A, He reminded himself that he can't do anything without God's help. He asked for grace. And then he resolved, if you will, to remember, to read the resolutions once a week. What's interesting is when you look at the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, it describes an overall life mission It describes good works. It describes time management. It describes relationships. It describes suffering. It describes character. It describes spiritual life. And I thought, this is all very, very interesting. And by the way... He wrote it August 17th, 1723. It wasn't even on December first, or January 31st. I'll tell you some more about those resolutions when we come back. 873 1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Lots going on in the news. We'll come back to that news. But I was talking about New Year's resolutions and, um, the famous resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, who basically, in his resolutions, he included some ideas like an overall life mission. And the first, uh, Four resolutions um, included that idea, and then throughout his resolutions that he wrote, um, and it it would seem that he added to the resolutions. So, concerning his overall life mission, his number one resolution was this: he said, "Quote, resolved that I will do." whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages, hence resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general resolved to do this. Whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. So think about that very first resolution that Jonathan Edwards makes resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good. So there is a sense in which there is such a thing as God's glory that doesn't exclude your own good, profit, and pleasure. Jonathan Edwards had a robust understanding that all things are made for benefit. And so for the person who talks about a Puritan or being Puritanical, it seems to me that they don't have a very good idea of what the Puritans really thought or really believed. So the second resolution on the list of Jonathan Edwards was resolved to be continually endeavoring to find some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned things. In other words, Jonathan Edwards, when he speaks of invention, he's talking about a way to make life better to promote human flourishing even though he wouldn't use those words. And, of course, number three, resolved. If ever I shall fall and grow dull so as to keep any part or so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions, to repent of all I can remember when I come again to myself. So he basically says... Resolved, if ever I shall fall and grow dull. In other words, if I become apathetic and indifferent. And then he says, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. And then. Number six on the list, I know you said you skipped five, but I'll come back. He says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Isn't that good? To live with all my might while I do live. You know, I was thinking about this with my new partner, QC Kinetics, who has just joined um, Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. And, of course, I was thinking about that as far as a decision. Not necessarily a resolution, but a decision. You can make the decision right now to get lasting relief from that awful joint pain for 2024. Don't go another year compromising because of that pain in your knees or shoulder or other joints Call QC kinetics. Now QC kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative, non-surgical pain relief. And your body has what it needs to restore and repair. What's damaged joint tissue and QC kinetics can make that happen. No drugs, no surgery, no downtime. And, of course, the future of pain treatment has arrived in QCS, tens of thousands of satisfied patients all over America, people with back pain, hip pain, any pain associated with arthritis or injury. And, of course, this isn't a Band-Aid. This is a revolutionary treatment that can get you moving again, get your life back. And, listen, it's non non-surgical. And if this is the year that you decide to fight back against that pain, take the first step now, call QC Kinetics, get a free consultation. On your calendar today, call 303 989 So, back to Jonathan Edwards. He made a resolution that he's going to live, at least while he's alive, he's going to live, you know, number 22 on the list. I'm skipping around because these are the things that relate to his overall life mission. He said, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, yet violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in a way that can be thought of. And number 62 on his list, resolved, never to do anything but duty. And then, according to Ephesians chapter 6, Verses six through eight, to do it willingly and cheerfully as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good thing any man doth, the same shall receive of the Lord. And so Jonathan Edwards said, hey, look, I want to do my duty, but I want to do it cheerfully. And by the way, duty is an interesting character trait. And then he talks about good works. In number 11, he says, resolved when I think of any theorem and divinity to be solved. That means when I think of a theological problem, when I'm thinking about what some people might think of as, well, a difficult passage like on, on Tough Questions Tuesday, He says resolved when I think of any theorem in divinity to be solved immediately to do what I can towards solving it. If circumstances don't hinder and number 13 on his list resolved to be endeavoring to find out fit objects of charity and liberality in Puritan talk, that means to fit objects of, of sacrificial love. That's an act of charity. It's giving and generosity. And number 69 on his list, which he added on August 11th, 1723, Resolved, always to do that, which I shall wish I have done when I see others do it. Resolved, always to do that, which I shall wish I had done when I see others do it. In other words, he's willing to be motivated when he sees someone doing right he wants it to motivate others to do right what are your plans what are your plans for the new year hey 303-873-1935 i'll be back taking your calls answering your questions